0: Jesus, you are obedient to the Father's good plan, but a plan that involved your suffering, your death. Thank you for being obedient because you secured for us life everlasting, forgiveness of sins, defeated the power of sin and death in our lives. And so we walk around animated by a hope of eternal life not just a fairy tale, a belief that we will have someday a new body, an imperishable body, and we will dwell in that body forever and ever with you. And Lord, it, as the apostles remind us, it, uh, it makes little of the pain and suffering we must endure now for such a short time because we have all of eternity in front of us, and it's going to be great. Lord, we have that hope. Would you give us the courage and the will to share uh, and the words to share that good hope with others so that because of our faithful witness, there will be people in heaven. Nothing more significant I can imagine doing than that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series called Origin Stories, studying the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So many of the foundational questions in life are answered in these first 11 chapters in Genesis. Who am I? Where did I come from? What's my purpose in life? Why is the world the way it is? And so it is worth taking time to really think deeply about these uh, first chapters in the Bible. On our topic today is the origin of marital conflict. Wee! What a wonderful topic for the day. How exciting. The origin of marital conflict. Well the good news is if we will do our work and uh, allow God to instruct us uh, we can achieve marital harmony if we'll go about it in God's plan uh, it, with His help. But if we don't do that, my goodness, then the marital conflict that sin has brought into the world is going to just destroy our marriages. And it has so many marriages have fallen apart, and so many others have uh, just sort of limped along in misery. And we don't want that. That's not God's plan for us. So, the origin of marital conflict is sin, it's the origin of all of the problems in the world. And in Genesis chapter 3, when God is explaining to Adam and Eve the consequences of sin in their lives. By the way, God never curses Adam and Eve. He curses the serpent. He curses the ground. He never curses Adam and Eve. And But he does say, you know, Eve, because you have sinned, there are going to be a couple of significant changes in your life life experience. One, I'm going to increase the pain you have in childbearing. So your role as a mom is not going to be as easy as I wanted it to be for you. And number two, you're going to have conflict in your relationship with Adam. Prior to sin entering the world, Adam and Eve got along marvelously. It was all roses and all harmony and peace and, and fun and, and joy. And God is telling Eve, but now that's going to go away and there's now going to be tension in your marriage. And he puts it like this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he will rule over you. And this doesn't mean Eve you're going to desire the chiseled body of Adam and he's going to hold you off. Sorry, you can't have me. If that happens, that's not a result of sin. Well, at least from a man's point of view, her desire is a good thing. But no, what he's saying is you're going to desire control in the relationship. You're no longer going to be content with your role as Adam's helper. You're going to now want to be the leader. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, in a moment why that's the case. But Adam's not going to let you be the leader. He's going to also want control and he's going to fight you for control. And we know that this is the meaning of that phrase because in the very next chapter, we looked at this last week in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7, when God's talking to Cain and warning Cain about sin's desire to control him, he says, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must master it same exact phrase, and uh, sin is wanting to call the shots in Adam's life. Sin is wanting to have control. Uh, and, And in that instance, God is saying, Adam, don't let sin have control. When he's talking to Eve, he's just saying, there will be a power struggle now in your marriage that was not there before. Sin has affected marriages in two fundamental ways. Number 1, Eve is no longer content in her role as helper, and number 2, Adam now uses his leadership role for his own selfish pur- purposes to benefit himself rather than to uh, benefit them and to accomplish God's uh, what God had the mission that God had given them. So first, let's let's look at uh, Adam or Eve's Eve no longer being content in her role as helper, and of course, due to the sin nature, uh, this has now translated uh, to wives throughout all history. Prior to sin entering the world, it was easy for Eve to submit to her husband; Uh, she was content being the helper. God had given Adam and Eve a great purpose. Rule, subdue, and fill the earth. And may, in your ruling, the earth should feel as if I'm in control. Because you bear my image. And so uh, they're on mission together. Eve is helping Adam uh, in that. And Adam has a leadership role. and, And Eve is content. Why? Well, because Adam's a perfect man and adam is listening to his wife that's what it means to be a perfect man right he's listening to his wife and he's considering her preferences and her priorities and her point of view and he's he's listening and he's taking that seriously and he's factoring it in and and she she believes that adam is going to make wise decisions, good decisions, decisions that have considered her input. And he's a sinless, perfect man. And so it's easy for her to just, okay, I'm I play a helper role in this great mission that God has given us. Well, now sin has entered the world and Eve has become aware that Adam is no longer perfect. He can be selfish, he can be fooled, he can be manipulated. He could be deceived he can be wrong and and so wait a second uh, if if Adam is in control what's to keep Adam from using his leadership uh, to just get what he wants and to make sure that his point of view and his preferences and his priorities hold sway if I just if I am his helper What's to keep him from just saying, come help me live the life that I want, Eve? It's all about me. And what happens when we are afraid? When we're afraid, we want control. Because control is a way to protect ourselves. And so Eve, in her fear that Adam will abuse his leadership role, seeks to take control in the relationship so that she won't be you know, mistreated or she won't be... Um, her needs won't be put on the back burner. Now, okay, now what about Adam? Well, prior to sin, uh, Adam listened to his wife. Uh, he was on God's mission, and he appreciated her. He, he found Eve wise and intelligent and good, and he wanted to, he wanted to please her. And, and so he used his leadership role to advance God's purposes always with an eye to what was good for them together. But now sin has entered the world and, in, and has entered his heart and all of a sudden he is uh, thinking, you know what? I have preferences and priorities and a point of view that matter to me and frankly that's what I want And Eve just needs to help me get there. And so he begins to prioritize himself. And this creates conflict. It creates a a tug of war, a power struggle in marriage. Now, the world has a prescription for marital harmony, and its prescription is total equality. An egalitarian marriage. Uh, there are no role differences determined by sex. So, just because you're the man doesn't mean that you have a leadership role in the home, and just because you're a woman certainly it doesn't mean that you are you know going to submit to your husband's leadership. There are no roles predetermined when you get married based on your sex. If you want to have a leadership role in your marriage, so that's up to you. But most secular marriages uh, operate with the principle of total equality. Um, There is is no leader. And and we just kind of negotiate out who does what and what roles we play. Uh, But the fact of the matter is two different people Two different preferences, priorities, and points of view. And sometimes, very often, they are in conflict. So what do you do? When I was newly married, I thought that the solution was communication. Uh, Sabrina just needs to understand what I want. And, of course, she'll want to then do that, right? And I distinctly remember, <laughs> one day I, I, it dawned on me, she fully understands what I'm saying. And she disagrees. She knows exactly what I want, and she's not willing to give it to me. And it was a shocking revelation that was shook me. <laughs> hey, communication is not... communicate. Learning to communicate is very important, and it is a, an important part of marriage. But, it, but we are two different people and we won't necessarily always agree and, and uh, want the same things and, and approach things the same way. What do you do then? What do you do then? Well, the secular prescription says give and take. Give and take. And if she gives in to him about the same amount that he gives in to her. Hopefully nobody gets uh, overly used and, and they don't feel like they're being taken advantage of and you can achieve some harmony with the give and take and I'll give in to you sometimes, you give in to me sometimes. And, the, and frankly, this works. There, there is a wisdom to this and it has, you know, it, there are many non-Christian marriages that have achieved a level of harmony and are happy using this prescription. But it is not God's prescription, thus it is not the best. So what is God's prescription for marriage? I put it this way. God's prescription for marital harmony is number one, wives submitting to their husbands. Number two, husbands using their leadership role to create a happy home for everyone. That's it. That's God's prescription for achieving marital harmony in light of the presence of sin. Actually it predated sin. That was was his uh, prescription even before sin entered the world. Turn in your Bibles if you would to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is the text we're going to sit in for the rest of our time. There are three places in Scripture that in the New Testament that the Bible really um, lays out instructions to husbands and wives on how to relate to each other to achieve harmony. That is Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, and 1 Peter chapter 3. And he starts here in this text, he starts talking to wives and then he moves to talking to husbands. And so we'll just follow that plan. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So he's saying, uh, even if you're married to an unbeliever, a non-Christian, you should still submit to your husband and actually it might win him over to the Lord. Verse 3, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Boy, that's interesting. God finds women who have a gentle and quiet spirit precious. It's attractive even to God. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. Uh, A general, you know, look back to to the women of faith of the past, general. Then he gets very specific, one example, Sarah. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. So a number of comments on this text. The first is this. Submission is not obedience. Submission is not obedience. The Bible's command to wives is to submit. It's a very particular word. And it is not the word to obey. Now in this text, and only in this text, a um, Sarah is lifted up as an example, and it says that she called Abraham Lord and obeyed him. And that's an example, but the biblical command to wives is submit always in all the texts. And so one of my daughters asked me, uh, Dad, what's the difference between to uh, submit and obey? I said, Well, the difference is this uh, those who obey don't expect to be consulted. Right? Children obey your parents. Uh, A child doesn't expect the parent to come consult. Okay, little kid, what are your preferences and priorities and point of view? And I need to take that into consideration when I tell you to clean your room. No. Whereas in marriage with submission, there's a partnership and expectation that a wife will be fully involved in the decision-making process, fully considered. They have a say because we are together, husband and wife, on the mission God has given us. And yes, you have a helper role, but part of helping is obviously helping me think correctly and prioritize correctly and do the right thing. And so Christian husbands are uh, expected to Consult their wives, consider their wives, factor, factor that into the equation. And so submission is not obedience. A, a wife is a full member in the partnership, and and any wise Christian husband is going to take seriously uh, their input. In fact, you are very foolish to make any kind of a decision without consulting your wife and and then to make a decision think very very carefully and be very very prayerful before you blow past her her desires and her input number 2 wives submit to god's leadership structure not their husbands better judgment okay I have to assume that half the wives are smarter than half their husbands, right? I would assume half the wives are more naturally capable to lead. Uh, That just makes sense to me. So why does God give the husband uh, the leadership role? Is it because he's better able to lead? He's going to make wiser decisions, He's less prone to hysteria, right? No, well I don't know why, God just does it. And He doesn't explain it clearly in Scripture, but He just does. He says, the man is the leader of the home. And I don't think it's because he's more capable, it's just God's decision. And so when a wife is submitting to her husband, she's not submitting to his brilliance, Oh, I have to let him lead because he'll do such a better job than I would. No. I think sometimes, probably correctly, wives are thinking, Oh my goodness, he's making a boneheaded move here. This is dumb. But what they're doing is they're submitting to God's leadership structure. They're, they're saying God has ordained a particular dynamic in the family And I'm going to submit to God by submitting to his ordained leadership structure in the home. I found it interesting as a young married man that God never tells me to get my wife to submit. I searched the scriptures. And uh, the scriptures always appeal to Sabrina. They say, Sabrina, you know, wives submit to your husbands. God is appealing to her to do what is right in his eyes. And he never says, Mike, make sure Sabrina submits. It's between Sabrina and God. So what can I do? I I thought about this very deeply. Can I manipulate? Can I? No. Yes, I may speak the truth in love. But other than that, I can pray. That's it. I can't strong arm, manipulate, make it happen. It has to be, she has to decide out of her reverence to the Lord to honor his uh, ordained structure in marriage. Here's another point that comes out of the text. Cowed is not submissive. Cowed is not submissive. There are many wives who let their husbands be in control because they're afraid to cross him. They have, they have expressed their will and gotten beaten down. Some of them have literally gotten physically beaten, cursed at. They've been made to pay the price of standing up to their husband, defying his will. They're cowed. Their husband is the leader, yeah, because they're, they're afraid to to challenge him, to cross him. And and so they're beating down their doormats. That is not submissive. That is not submissive. Submission requires that you have the power to make a choice. A submissive wife is a wife who has the power to say no to her husband. She feels empowered. I could tell him no. I'm not going to grant you the final say, I'm not going to grant you leadership in our home. She feels the power to do that, and but she says, I am choosing to let you lead. Okay? If you're cowed, there is a real problem in your relationship. And if you are being abused... Then, then you need to deal with that and if you're a part of Clearwater Church we're here we don't, of course we don't like it's messy, we don't enjoy that but that's part of our calling as leaders of the church if you're in an abusive relationship we want to know and we want to help you get out of that so when a uh, a wife comes to me who is in an abusive relationship what do I do? um i always my advice is you know god does not require you to remain in the pain to be abused and i encourage i certainly authorize physical separation and then give that man a chance to to change but you don't have to go back into living with that man until you're confident he's not going to be hitting you anymore he's not going to be cursing at you like that right Now, if he hasn't cheated on you, then you don't have biblical grounds to divorce and remarry. Um, But, hopefully, you give him space to, to make real change, for God to work on him and make real change. Cowed is not submissive. Here's another thing that comes out of the text. Submission is attractive and atypical which is why it might convert an unbelieving husband. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So it's not normal for wives who have the sin nature, and we all do, to be respectful of their husbands, to submit to their husbands' leadership. And when they do, men take notice. Even, even a non-Christian man will, will be attracted to that in his Christian wife, and will, will recognize that it's not typical, it's not normal, and it's coming out of her devotion to God. And so it is, a, it is evidence of the reality of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Don't blow past that. So, wives who submit to their husbands, it is attractive to your husband, and it is a testimony to to the reality of Christ in you. Your husband sees that, even if he doesn't verbalize it. But but what Peter is saying is that there are non-Christian men who become Christians... Because of the silent uh, conduct of their wives. Submissive, respectful, gentle conduct of their wives. That's a powerful thing. That's a powerful thing. So the Bible clearly teaches a complementarian, is the technical word, vision of marriage. Where husbands are the leader of the home... and and a wife helps her husband as they together go accomplish God's purpose for their family so when it's so clearly taught in the Bible and I know that there is the idea out there that oh these are just time bound commands they were only relevant in sort of the first century they don't apply in the modern era I don't buy that I think that's extremely weak, biblically, because uh, oftentimes the biblical writers are referring to timeless creation principles when making their their claims. But I wonder why is it so? Why is this vision of marriage so unpopular? Why is it so unpopular even in the church with Christian wives? And I have to believe it's because of fear and not ungrounded fear, reasonable fear. The fear that if I grant my husband a leadership role, what's to prevent him from using it to carve out the life he wants? To make sure that his preferences, his point of view, his priorities win the day all the days. And so, you know, and has a Christian, have Christian husbands ever done that? Raise your hand, men. <laughs> I have many times, of course. We're, we are selfish. We have a sin nature. God help us. But there have been many times when I have used my leadership role to advance my agenda, not God's agenda. And I have not been as considerate of Sabrina as I should have been. And so there is, there is legitimate... Fear. Reasonable fear. That if I grant my husband, if I submit to my husband, then then he might take advantage of me. I believe that is why Peter here says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, verse 6, and you are her children if you do good and do not Give in to fear is the way the NIV translates it. Here it says, do not fear anything that is frightening. See, Peter realizes practicing submission is scary because of the potential that your husband will not uh, use his leadership role as he should. So what do you do with that fear? Fear. In the preceding chapter, Peter chapter 2, Peter gives a, uh, when he's talking to slaves who don't have the option to get out of the relationship or change the dynamic of the relationship, he gives them a very comforting principle that I think applies here as well. In in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 18, he says, as servants... Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good ones and gentle ones, but also to the unjust. For this, here it is, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustless, un- unjustly. Skip down a bit. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. In the sight of God, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. So, how does this apply to wives? I think what Peter is saying is, you know what? When you practice submission out of reverence to God, and your husband leads poorly, and you end up suffering as a result because he's being selfish. God if you're if you've done that because you are seeking to please the Lord he sees that and it's precious to him and he'll reward you for this, for it i have seen this up close and personal god will bless uh women who do this he'll take care of them now again this is not me saying uh if you're being abused remain in the pain uh I I think God has no interest in people being taken advantage of and the rest of scripture I think uh, gives us balancing wisdom to say uh, what I said earlier which is if you're being abused let's get out of that situation give the Lord a chance to change the heart of your husband so that you can have a healthy marriage now we turn to husbands verse 7 Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. First thing I want to point out here is that men get the stick, women only get the carrot. Uh, There is no punishment held out for women, right? It's just you have an opportunity to honor the Lord, you have an opportunity to live in harmony with His created order in marriage, you have an opportunity to win the heart of your husband, even convert, even possibly bringing your unbelieving husband to faith in the Lord. All carrot, and with the men there's the big stick. Don't make God mad at you, He might not listen to your prayers. You know, treat your wife in an understanding way, or this relationship is going to have a real problem. So, some points for men that come out of this text. Number one, husbands, know your wives. Get to know your wife. She is unlike you, and she is unlike anyone else. Your wife has her own unique point of view. Her own unique preferences, her own unique priorities. And you can't live with your wife in an understanding way if you don't work to get to know those. For example, my wife has a preference that the dish rag in the sink be squeezed out every time. That's so annoying. Why can't I just drape it over the, over the, the little, it'll drip dry. It's so gross to hand-squeeze that thing, but that's her preference. I struggle with with adequately factoring that into my dish duty stuff. But that's unique to her. Other wives are more reasonable. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That was unplanned. (laughs) So... But, but we can't live with our wives in an understanding way if we don't understand our wives. And they're, they're different from us. Number two, accommodate your wife's differences, including her weaknesses, so that she enjoys being married to you. Live with your wives in an understanding way. I, I think the implication is she needs to feel like you are living with her in an understanding. It's not just you think you're living with your wife in an understanding way. I, I think that the ultimate question is, how do you feel I'm doing? Oh, I feel, I feel like my husband is, um, takes m- my desires into consideration. Take, you know he, The question is, how does she feel about it? And if she feels like you're just blowing, you know, you don't care, you don't consider, and you're just doing what you want to do, you've, you've got a problem. So we have to accommodate her differences, not just know them, accommodate them, uh, including her weaknesses. Isn't that interesting? What does that mean, as the weaker vessel? Uh, I have to assume that at a minimum, it's meaning physically weak. Uh, and so for in our marriage, with how does this factor? Well, here's, here's something. So I can't remember how many years we were married, but I'm, we were in one of these. We were not seeing eye to eye, and we were, we were ha- hashing it out. And I, I was angry. And so she, I figured it's, well, I don't know if I was thinking or what, but I'm letting my anger be shown. She can see it on my face. She can see it in my body posture. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the time I threw the glass through the, through the sheetrock or not. But uh, she, I'm angry. And my voice is elevated, and we get done with that. And she confronted me and she said, do you realize that when you get angry like that, I feel physically threatened? Because what if you were to turn that, you know, you appear to be like almost out of control. What what if you were to turn that on me? You could hurt me. And I was taken aback. I had never thought about that. You know, she can get as angry as she wants. She can hit me, and I'll just sort of—I don't feel threatened physically. I can do a little wrestling move, whew, whew, and, you know, and I'm safe. But she said I get—I was—I felt physically afraid, and and so therefore we're not we're not having you know a balanced argument. It's not a you know we're not having a, a fight amongst equals. She's thinking about you know—is he going to? Is he going to hit me not whether I'm being reasonable in my arguments so that was one thing another thing is that I have to accommodate is um, she might for some reason she doesn't she's not super excited about going into these high risk put your body at almost death's door because that's so invigorating she just doesn't attracted to that she doesn't think that's Fun. So we're different. We're different, and there are things that, that uh, to me, might feel like weaknesses. Whether they're true weaknesses, I don't know. But the Bible is saying, you, your wife is different, she ha- and you must live with her in an understanding way. You must accommodate her as she truly is. Accommodate her as she truly is. So that she enjoys being married to you. That's, I think that's the, the bottom line. The end goal is somebody interviews your wife and she says, oh yes, my, my husband lives with me in an understanding way. He knows me and uh, he takes very seriously my preferences and priorities and point of view. He factors them all in and tries to make the best decision for the both of us. I appreciate my husband. I enjoy living with him. Is that what your wife would say? Number three, show honor to your wife as benefiting, as befitting one who is a co-heir with you in eternal life. Honor, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So, our wives are eternal persons. And for all eternity, they will shine glorious we will see them as as they really are then Christ who is your life when Christ who is your life returns you know then we will see them in their full glory and and uh, we don't want to be embarrassed throughout all eternity for the way we treated this amazing woman of god and we just used her for our selfish purposes and ends and stepped on her and controlled her and dominated that's why God gets mad at husbands when they do that. Because they're treating his daughter, his glorious daughter, poorly. And finally, how husbands treat their wives directly impacts their relationship with God. So that your prayers may not be hindered. That's quite a threat. That's quite a serious consideration that how I treat Sabrina has a direct effect on my relationship with God. Knowing this, I make sure that we're doing great before I go preach. And there have been some times when five minutes before I'm preaching, I'm on the phone. Or i am got her somewhere. You've got to forgive me. I've got to go preach and I'm not right with you, so therefore there's no way God's going to be you know, blessing what I'm about to do. Uh, and that's the reality. So you do not have a healthy relationship with God if you do not have a healthy relationship with your wife. How else, do we, how else do we take that? So that your prayers may not be hindered. If you are not living with your wife in an understanding way, you do not have a healthy relationship with God. You cannot have a healthy relationship with God if you are not having a healthy relationship with your wife. Now, it takes two to tango. As much as depends on me, be at peace with all men, right? You, you have to do do what you can do. She's her own person. You're not responsible for for the way she, yeah, you're not responsible for her. But you need to make sure you're doing everything that you should be doing in the eyes of the Lord so that you have a healthy relationship with God. But I I find this to be, uh, uh, I don't see it anywhere else. It doesn't say anywhere else in the Bible that I need to have a, you know, I need to live with my employer in a healthy way lest God not hear my prayers. It's something special to the marriage relationship. We need to take this serious. So, man, it means... How much do we value our relationship with God? And and we need to then well it means that we need to prioritize a relationship with our wife and we need to do whatever we have to do so that we're getting along with our wives. And it could cost us money and it could cost time and it could co- it will cost time and money and energy in order to live with your wife in an understanding way and it's worth it. It's worth it because when when we're Living, when we have a good marriage, it also affects our relationship with God. And frankly, it just gives us a whole lot better life. Alright, so sin has introduced conflict into the marriage, but when we pursue marriage according to God's plan, empowered by His Holy Spirit, because we need the Spirit of God to help us, help us, help us, then we actually can achieve marital harmony. And marriage God designed marriage to be life-giving and to be wonderful and and to to produce joy. And it can. It can. But we have to really uh, do it God's way in His power. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank You for the way that it convicts us and holds up your ideal, and calls us to be better. And Lord, all of of us who do, all of us have things that we need to repent of and change so that we can, those of us who are married, to have better marriages. Lord, help us to be good husbands and good wives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I get off, let me say, if you're single, uh, there actually is something in this for you. And here it is. You get to choose who you're going to marry. And I recommend that you make sure that the person you marry has a, has a biblical understanding of marriage. Because, you know, if, man, if you marry, if you're a Christian woman and you marry a man who's, who is saying, I don't take any leadership role, that's going to frustrate you. And if you're a Christian man who, you marry a woman who says, I do not acknowledge that you have a leadership role. And uh, then that's going to frust you, frustrate you. So it's important that you have that you're like-minded on this, and have have um, a biblical understanding. It will it will start you out on a much healthier page.